Hello and welcome to the Southampton Match Day programme for the Premier League fixture against Everton. In today's audio files, we have the manager's notes from Ralph Hassenhutel, Armel Bella Kotchap's feature piece, a tactical watch over Frank Lampard's toffees, a update on the women's side, and a couple of extra favourite sections. But first, a moment to reflect. Southampton Football Club was saddened by the recent passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, aged 96. The Queen famously presented England's World Cup squad, including Saints legend Terry Payne at MBE, with the Jules Ramey Trophy in 1966. Ten years later, Her Majesty handed the FA Cup to Southampton captain Peter Rodriguez. It was the last time she did so at an FA Cup final. Here are your pre-match notes from Ralph Hassenhutel. Dear supporters, welcome back to St Mary's for today's Premier League match against Everton. I would like to offer a warm welcome to Frank Lampard and his staff and players and the Everton supporters who made the long journey to join us for what I hope will be an entertaining game this afternoon. The last time we played at home was long ago and one of my most enjoyable nights as manager of this club. To fight back from a goal down to beat a team of Chelsea's quality, the first time we had beaten them at home since 2013, took a massive effort from the players and I know how much they were inspired by the crowd. That is the atmosphere we want to create inside St Mary's every single game, continuing today against an opponent who will be feeling confident after taking their first run of the season in their last match. So much has happened since that amazing night against Chelsea and I would like to take a moment to remember Her Majesty the Queen, a wonderful person who served this country for 70 years, setting an incredible example to millions of people across the world. The way this country pulled together to show respect following such sad news was beyond impressive. As someone who has lived and worked in a lot of different countries, it was something far beyond anything I have ever experienced anywhere else, and I think you should be very proud of that. For me, it was a clear decision not to play our game against Brentford that week. When we returned against Aston Villa, our performance was not at the level we expect. We know we can be so much better, and that is the goal today. I must also mention the transfer window, as four new arrivals on deadline day took us to 10 signings for the summer, with many players leaving us also. I would like to give a special mention to Oriel Romeu, who served this club for seven years, giving absolutely everything in every game and every training session. As one of the most professional people I have ever met in my life in football, we will miss him, but he deserved the opportunity to chase his dream and return home. The same goes for Nathan Redmond after six years here. We had a fantastic time working together for three and a half seasons with a lot of amazing memories, sharing a good relationship to the end. I look forward to seeing him playing well and scoring goals in Turkey. To Jan Valery also, who arrived at this club as a boy and left as a man, I wish him the best and thank him for his commitment to Southampton. I hope you will welcome Ainsley, Duje, Samuel and Juan to our club with a warm reception today. They are quality young players, mixed with good experience at the highest level, who can help us improve. We're excited for the future, and I hope you are too. We march on. On to our player feature now, and this week, it's the turn of Armel Belakotchap. He's the first to admit he did not expect to become such a prominent piece of the Saints jigsaw so early in his English football career. 
but the new-look puzzle is coming together nicely for Ralph Hasenhutl, whose latest international debutant has sought advice from a Premier League great. Armel Belakotchap admits he did not expect to have such a big impact so early in his Southampton career, and credits his flying start to some inspiration from a Premier League legend. The 20-year-old centre-back, whose imposing physical stature belies his tender years, arrived at St Mary's in the summer, hoping to eventually work his way into the team. After watching on from the bench in the season opener at Tottenham, the German was summoned to Ralph Hasenhutl's starting lineup earlier than expected, in time for the second match of the campaign against Leeds. He hasn't missed a minute in the Premier League since. Bella Kotchap's performances are improving game by game, including a player of the match display last time out at St Mary's, as Saints shocked Chelsea with a 2-1 win in a frenzied atmosphere under the lights. Such is his form, he earned a first call-up to his country's senior squad, making his debut as a late substitute against England on Monday, with decorated Germany boss Hansi Flick entrusting the youngster to see out the closing stages of a barnstorming second half at Wembley. The defender, who lives alone in Winchester, reveals he relaxes away from Staplewood by reading books, including the autobiography of an unlikely ally, Rio Ferdinand. I read Rio's book. I think it's a documentary. It's quite interesting, he says. I know him personally. He's a very, very good guy with a big career. It's an unpredictably early twist, rather like Bella Kotchap's start against Leeds, as a summer signing tells how a mutual friend in Germany put the pair in touch. We met at a game. He came to watch my game, and after that we tried to speak, he continues. He gives me advice as well. He was very happy about my move to England. For me, he's a hero, and I try to copy him a bit. By his own admission, ABK has some way to go to match Ferdinand's feet, but there are certain similarities in the way he glides across the turf, unusually quick for a man of six foot three, and in the authority in which he strides out of defence with the ball. His partnership with Mohamed Salisu, his next-door neighbour in Winchester, has been one of the success stories of Saint's steady start, taking two wins from the first seven games, despite three of those opponents finishing in last season's top six and five in the top ten. It's nice, I'm happy about it. I've settled in very quick, and I hope that everyone is happy to see me here and happy about my performances, Bella Kotchap says, in an incredibly understated, relaxed manner. In the beginning, I thought it would be a bit difficult to adapt, but I think that I settled in very quick and everyone takes me with them. That makes it easier to adapt to the game, to the rhythm. The whole team is behind me, giving me advice, helping me on the field, and that helps me to grow. I think when you're focused on the pitch, it is easier to compete. I think I do it well so far, and I want to have more of these games. I want to keep the level, or raise the level, and when I improve every day in training, it'll be easier for me in the games. This is what I try to do, show my best face every day, and I think that's the way I want to go on. Adapting to a new surrounding does not necessarily mean unfamiliar territory for Bella Kotchap. As a youngster, he regularly moved between academies in Western Germany, having relocated from Paris at a young age when his father's footballing career took him to Paderborn. Cyril Florent Bella was a Cameroon international striker who spent a decade in the German leagues from 1998 to 2008, and his son, born in 2001, insists Bella Senior 
is his biggest critic. He is really critical. He laughs. Especially after games, it doesn't matter if I play well or bad. He will always have something to criticise. It helps me to improve, be a better person off and on the pitch, and I try to listen to his advice. I would say he's a big influence on me, because he helps me to show the best person I can be every day. My father helps me in other things as well, to be a good human, and I learned a lot from my dad. I hope that I can show that every day. It says a lot about Belakotchap that he goes out of his way to make this interview happen, finding a gap in his schedule at short notice to chat about his progress late in the afternoon at Staplewood, even if sitting in front of a camera and speaking a secondary language is a long way outside his comfort zone. The defender has not had it easy, revealing he was dealt a number of setbacks as an aspiring professional. His early years took him from Ireland to Dweisberg via Grimlinghausen, Mönchengladbach and Unterar, before his talents were eventually appreciated by Bokum, the club he joined at 15. Sometimes you can't know how things will come, and when I was young, you always listened to coaches that said, you're not good enough. Maybe try there instead. And that's what I did, he shrugs, recognising that rejection is normal when pursuing a life that every boy wants. I think this makes me stronger. I want to show everyone that I can play, that I can compete against big teams, and that's what I'm trying to do. I try to train every day because I know where I've come from, and now I'm happy that I'm here and I can show up. When Ralph Hasenhutl speaks of his fondness for managing young players, this is exactly what he is looking for. Characters like Bella Kotchap are hungry, with something to prove. He's realised a dream to play in the Premier League, but this is just the start. Now he has to show he belongs and will leave no stone unturned to make that happen. He says his quiet life in Winchester is at odds with his time in Germany, which will only help his attention remain on football, his mind free from distractions. Here, it is calm. You don't have a lot of pressure. You can play, focus on the game, he reasons. I would say it's a bit quieter than Germany. Sometimes it's good, sometimes you want to see some other things, but I think Winchester and Southampton is a good city to grow. I would say that you had big cities around where I used to live. We lived next to Dusseldorf and Cologne, and sometimes you would have people around you who might annoy you and take you out of your game. Here, as I said, it's a good place to grow and improve. One of the main motives for becoming a saint, Belakotchap says, is the club's faith in young players and willingness to give experience to those who are still learning on the job. It's a philosophy that is common in the Bundesliga, leading to an influx of English youngsters in recent years. Jadon Sancho and Jude Bellingham have excelled at Borussia Dortmund, while Chelsea recently loaned Callum Hudson-Odoi to Bayer Leverkusen, following the lead of Arsenal, Tottenham and Everton, who have all done the same in recent years, recognising how quickly players can develop on the continent. I would say, over the years, it's become a culture thing. Der Mannschaft's latest debutant explains. In Germany, maybe you will have, as a foreign player, better chances to play. When you are in Germany, it is a bit more relaxed. You can really focus on football. Maybe that makes it a bit easier to play there. But playing here, you are in the best league and you have to be 100% every week. Sometimes that makes it a bit difficult, especially when you are playing for bigger teams where you have more pressure. That had a big impact on my move because I saw the work with young players here and the coach tries to tell me his opinion. We speak often in English. 
I don't want to feel special. But sometimes you have things you want to say in German because maybe that's easier to talk to me. The manager is an open guy. He helps me, gives me advice and criticizes me as well. For a young player, you need to have this communication with your coach and your teammates. I think we have a good mix in the team because we have young players and older players. Especially the older players try to help the young players in every training session and it's easier to adapt because it's my first time abroad in new surroundings and I try to avoid all problems, asking for advice and I think it works quite well. I'm very thankful to be here. Back at St Mary's this afternoon after 31 days away, Bella Kotschap is targeting a return to winning ways and hopes to feel the same electricity in the air that sparked Saints' best performance of the season so far, last time out on home soil. I think the fans are always pushing us, he says. Especially in the Chelsea game. The atmosphere was amazing. We enjoyed it and tried to give fans something back. We did that and we want to make the fans happy for the whole season. Be a successful team and then the fans will be proud. I think we've done really well so far and we want to continue it this way. A look ahead now to the opposition for this afternoon's game at St Mary's. It's the Tactical Watch by Sam Tai. What shape are Everton coming out of the international break in? The break perhaps came at a bad time for Everton, who had finally won their first league game of the season against West Ham at the seventh time of asking, and actually stand unbeaten in five. Suddenly that feels like good momentum, the sort managers are often loathe to break up. Frank Lampard then watched Nathan Patterson get stretched off in Scotland's win over Ukraine on Tuesday, meaning his first choice right back is lost to him for several weeks at least. Patterson joins star goalkeeper Jordan Pickford on the treatment table, meaning the Toffees are already drawing deep upon their squad reserves at the back. What defines their style under Frank Lampard? Lampard often speaks of his preference for a high-possession, high-pressing game, perhaps modelled on the Chelsea teams he played in. But bar a fleeting early dose of it, we're yet to see that installed at Goodison Park. That's largely because the squad Lampard inherited at the beginning of the year wasn't built for it. Meanwhile, the summer's transfer work appears to have doubled down on a compromised approach. They rank 17th in the league in three telling categories. Possession per game at 42%, PPDA, which is passes per defensive action of 18.7, and pass accuracy of 76.4%. Simply put, that means they're a side that plays relatively direct from the back and doesn't press too high. The direct balls from the back are often aimed at the wingers, Anthony Gordon and Damari Gray, who have benefited from Pickford's arrow-like distribution and can use their ball-carrying skills to push Everton forward. Also, while they don't necessarily press up that much, they do make it a fight in the middle third, something that Lampard prides himself on, and something summer arrivals Amadou Onana and Adelissa Gay seriously enhance. How can Saints hurt Everton? For the second game in a row, Saints are facing a team who have no choice but to turn to a backup right back. Generally, subpar performance against Aston Villa saw a missed opportunity to stress Ashley Young. This time, Seamus Coleman is likely to step in without having played any Premier League minutes this season. Any chances to send balls in over the top must be taken too, as Everton's central defensive pairing are significantly more comfortable defending their box than high up. Shea Adams working on the shoulder could be successful. But that said, if Everton sit off rather than push up, allowing Saints to have the ball at the back in the same way Villa did, better solutions working the ball forward must be found. 
The midfield will be tough sledding, but Carl Walker-Peters dribbling or Joe Aribo's hold-up and link play could become hugely important. Now on to the Southampton women's team, who have been making waves in the Barclays Women's Championship. Mary-Anne Spacey-Kale's side continued their growth in their debut Barclays Women's Championship season as they recorded a first win and another draw at top of the league contenders Crystal Palace and Bristol City. Saints took on Crystal Palace on Sunday 18th of September at Sellers Park, with the Eagles recording a new record attendance for the game of 1,876 fans who headed through the turnstiles. That did include, though, a large away contingent, as always. Lexi Lloyd-Smith opened the scoring on her first start for the Saints in the fifth minute of the game. Ella Morris played an inch-perfect through ball to Beth Lumsden, who intelligently cut back to Lloyd-Smith, who hit home from close range. Katie Wilkinson and Lumsden linked up well throughout the half, and the 23rd minute saw a Wilkinson shot saved by Frank Kitching, as Lumsden nearly provided another assist. Palace piled on the pressure at the end of the first half, and a free kick in a dangerous area allowed them to get back on terms, as Animal Blanchard's curling effort came off the post straight into the path of Coral Haynes, who turned home from a close range right before half-time. Lloyd Smith came out of the blocks at speed in the second period, making her presence felt in the centre of the park. All it took was a loose clearance from Palace and she was able to pounce, sliding home as second of the game from just outside the area to the near post. Back in front, Saints continued to hold resolute for the second half and although they arguably didn't enjoy as many chances, they were able to hold on for all three points in their first win of the Barclays Women's Championship. The following weekend, Saints headed to league leaders Bristol City, stepping out at Ashton Gate Stadium in front of over 3,500 fans. Unlike at Palace, Saints made a slow start to the game and Bristol City were able to dominate possession across the pitch. The Robins camped out in the Southampton half and the constant pressure became too much to handle in the 29th minute. Some poor clearances saw a through ball slotted between Saints centre-backs, leaving Fionn Morgan with a one-on-one which he sent curling into the top corner. Keeper Kyla Rendell kept Saints in the game for the rest of the half and beyond, making a number of key saves, including one to deny prolific scorer Abby Harrison from close range. Saints took the Robins by surprise, coming out of the second 45, and Beth Lumsden slotted home a perfect cross from Ella Morris in the 47th minute to put the game back level. A number of chances for the home side made for some nervous watching in the second half, but despite a final resurgence from Bristol City, Saints held on for the point and became the first team to take points off the promotion hopefuls. On to our fifth instalment now of the My Favourite Match series, which offers supporters the opportunity to write in their own style about their favourite match. I wonder if perhaps we should substitute the word favourite with most memorable in view of the contribution of our guest writer this week, Liz Aylett. A native of Liverpool, Liz describes the match against today's visitors which got her hooked and led her to becoming a fervent follower of the Saints, both home and away. Her memory will undoubtedly strike a note with other supporters looking back at the history of our club. I was born and brought up a proud scouser, and like many people who follow in the footsteps of their father, I supported Liverpool, albeit passively. No, please wait! Before you wonder why I'm writing for a Saints programme and perhaps stop reading and listening, I can explain. I moved down south in 1982 and continued to call myself a Liverpool supporter. However, that'll change one special day. 
Sunday the 2nd of December 2001. My daughter Catherine had been a Saints fan since the day she had been taken to St Mary's by her boyfriend. She had moved to Leeds and I was going there from my home in Salisbury to spend the weekend with her. Catherine asked if I would like to go and watch the Saints play Everton at Goodison Park. I replied somewhat casually, Okay, I'll try anything once. And I genuinely thought it would just be the once. That is how it came about that I found myself in a stadium which is ripe with history, being one of the oldest purpose-built football stadiums in the world, and one which has hosted more top-flight games than any other stadium in England. Obviously, I didn't know that at the time. But the seats were uncomfortable. It was a cold day and Saints lost, as usual, apparently, at Everton. One match report said that although Southampton sensed that the Everton side was there for the taking during the first half, they weren't able to make it count. In the second half, Tomasz Radzinski and Mark Pembridge scored on 50 and 87 minutes respectively. A defeat and no goals for the Saints. But to put it simply, I was hooked. Why? Primarily, it was because of the intoxicating feeling of being among the hundreds of away supporters, all willing on their team and making their presence known. I couldn't wait to see the Saints play again, and I loved our song and all the others, despite some of the language which I found unacceptable. I had a further unexpected surprise when I got talking to some Everton fans while we were waiting for the bus back to the railway station. It wasn't in the least bit intimidating, but a real pleasure. So, that was it. I was a fan, albeit without a replica shirt, but that would be set right on the first occasion after the Everton match that my daughter came home. We went to a game at St Mary's and she marched me straight to the club shop to buy a shirt and scarf. I was set up for life. Since then, I've supported the Saints through Vic and Finn, visiting many interesting places all over the country, from Carlisle to Plymouth and from Colchester to Sunderland, not to mention trips into Europe to Arnhem in Holland, Micheland in Denmark, Prague in the Czech Republic and Milan in Italy. Having watched all the players in the 2001-2002 season, when Michael Svensson arrived in June 2002, he quickly became my firm favourite, and despite a number of others who have nearly eclipsed him, he still is. Over the two decades since my love of the Saints was born, I have always felt a constant great sense of being part of an unwavering support for our team, as well as the joy of making so many friends among the Saints supporters, with whom I have enjoyed exchanging opinions and some banter before and after matches. Thanks to my daughter and my willingness to give anything a go, I've enjoyed, or suffered, over 20 years of elation, fury, despair and many other feelings. But most important of all, these emotions have always been shared, which have enhanced the joy and made the pain bearable. Long may it continue. Our final segment in the programme is the firm fan favourite, it's Franny Benali. In our last game at St Mary's, we saw Saints get a big resort against Chelsea. I thought we thoroughly deserved the victory and again showed some great character to come from a goal down and back to 2-1 in our favour. We want to make our own ground a tough place for all teams to come to, let alone the bigger sides. The result also allowed me to have the bragging rights over Joe Cole in the BT Sports studio. You could say that maybe Chelsea weren't firing on all cylinders, but that's because Saints did not allow them to. Every one of our team played their part and deserved a huge amount of credit. I was delighted for Romeo Lavia with his first senior goal and for Adam Armstrong, who got on the score sheet again after a while. After that, our games at Wolves and Aston Villa were frustrating. 
We conceded a goal from a quick counter by Wolves and the strange finish from Pedence was a difficult one for Gavin Bazunu to deal with. It wasn't the shot he would have had imagined coming his way. Unfortunately, there was very little in terms of positives to take from the Villa game and the performance levels were nowhere near what we are capable of. The game was an opportunity for us because Villa were not great either on the night. We now move on to Everton today. It is another big one, considering that they are on the same number of points as us. In front of our home fans, I hope we'll be able to get back to winning ways and claim a first clean sheet of the season. That will be the perfect way to bounce back from our previous two results. There is an opportunity for Saints to find their rhythm once again and get with some momentum, going with nine straight games in all competitions until the World Cup break in November and December. A good run will shape the rest of the campaign for us. We want to be looking back at our form with positivity instead of looking over our shoulders from a precarious position in the table. It was good to see recognition for our players in the international break, especially with the World Cup just around the corner. Armel Belakotchap and Mohamed Salisu were called up by Germany and Ghana respectively for the first time as both their nations prepared to take part in Qatar. And James Ward-Prowse is still in and around the England setup at a crucial time. I'd also like to highlight some bigger recent results for our women's team. They're unbeaten in three and claim their first win in the women's championship, so it's brilliant to see them finding their feet, adapting to the high level of football. Since my last column, we had the sad news about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Her death triggered a series of events across the UK leading up to her funeral, and there were some wonderful tributes, including from the world of football, like we saw from the Saints and Villa fans at Villa Park.